This is the Weather Lounge here at Weatherworks. Hello, everyone, and thank you, as always, for joining us here in the Weather Lounge. I'm your host, meteorologist Brad Miller, and our fresh podcast comes to you from our Weatherworks headquarters located in Hackettstown, New Jersey. And joining me, as always, is my fab co-host, meteorologist Mike Mahalik. Hey there, Mike. Fab? Really? That's all you got today? I mean, uh, like, what's going on, Brad? Uh, you're running out, I think. I know. I'm kind of holding back because, you know, I'll, actually, I'll have a good one for you in the next podcast. I've already kind of written the uh, the intro. And yeah, you keep saying that you have a good intro for me and uh, it never it never seems to pan out. It's always very corny. And, uh, you know, you better bring something good next time because our listeners are probably thinking to themselves, OK, Brad's running out of material. <laughs> He's drunk. He's drunk again. No, 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 no. This is I just have water here at my desk. That's it. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, today's podcast is uh, about a very popular sport that millions have enjoy around the world. And um, it's also probably one of the most frustrating sports that I can think of, at least as far as my game is concerned, and that's golf. Yeah, that's uh, that's for sure, Mike. And uh, I'll tell you, I've been playing now for over 20 years, and there are days I just want to walk off the golf course. I just, you know, there's days when you, you feel like you can master the game, and there's other days you just feel like, ah, I can't do anything right. But um, you know what they say, Mike, a bad day on the golf course is better than a day at work. I guess so. Uh, <laughs> I've had really bad days on the course, Brad. I mean, uh You'd rather work, though, than play golf? I, I don't know. I mean, maybe. Uh, especially those days where, you know, the, the score is going over 100 and uh, I don't know what to do with myself anymore and can't seem to get anything uh, working. You know, th those are pretty bad days. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'll just uh, forecast a snowstorm uh, <laughs> instead. Um, but what if you uh, actually work on the golf course? So every day must be a good one then, right? Yeah, well, that's very apropos, Mike, because that brings us to our podcast guest today. His name is John Tapakis. He is a golf course superintendent at the prestigious Rockaway River Country Club in Denville, New Jersey, where my brother, Lowell, is actually the assistant professional there. So we uh, thank John for joining us, and uh, welcome to the Weather Lounge, John. Hey, guys. How you doing? Great to be with you. That's, uh, yeah, I'll tell you, John, uh, it's, uh, it's, 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 a, it's a great lead into uh, golf and weather because um, like we were talking before we actually started the podcast is uh, it goes hand in hand for you every single day but uh, give us a little background on you and uh, you know where you went to college and uh, and you know how long you've been over at Rockaway River and where you've been before that well I grew up outside of Philadelphia and uh, after high school I went to Penn State graduated from Penn State Mike's Mike's a Penn State grad I can see his, his oh, sign. There in, you in go. The back <laughs> yeah, so I graduated from Penn State. Uh, I interned at Marion. And after graduation, I went and worked at Marion for two years. And then I came up to uh, Bedminster and did a grow-in at a course called Hamilton Farm Golf Club. Okay. In Bedminster, in, in Bedminster, New Jersey. And then after that, I went down to Matitaconk National in Jackson, New Jersey. And after Jackson, I came up here to Rockaway. I've been here 17 years, and it's been great. 
I mean, that's, that's, uh, you know, again, if you're from the Northeast, you're from the Philly, New Jersey area, there's some great courses that John just mentioned that he's worked at and interned at. I mean, uh, Marion, of course, had the U.S. Open several years ago. Uh, I mean, every other course there you've mentioned, uh, I mean, is uh, prestigious and in, in its own right. Um, and there's some courses, uh, you know, here in the Northeast that everyone and, and Rockaway River, I'll tell you, it's, it's an old course, too, right? It's been around for over 100 years. Yeah, it's been here since 1915. And it's very involved in uh, New Jersey State Golf Association, the New Jersey PGA. We constantly host uh, events here for both organizations. And the membership really likes to give back uh, to the golf world and, and showcase their golf course. I wonder what is the oldest course in the United States. Do we know? Uh, Come on. Golf trivia for you guys. You guys are both golf. Buffs. No, I know, I mean, but know there's, there's no there, there's different there's different answers to that because I think there was a course on Long Island that's supposedly the oldest course. But then actually, where I'm where I went to, I lived in Charleston for 18 years, and I swear to you, there are people down there that say that the club down there, Charleston, I think it was a Charleston Country Club, they think that they were the oldest club. Um, you got to do some research on it, but it's 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 between Long Island and Charleston, actually, between one of those two courses. I'm looking at, I, I just did a quick search here, uh, Oakhurst Golf Club and Foxburg Club. Uh, I don't know. That's... Way, to, way to prove me wrong, Mike. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> it looks like Foxburg Golf Club in Pennsylvania and Oakhurst Golf Club in West Virginia, um, both um have playable courses since 1884 um there was one in uh Quahog. um that might be the one that you're thinking of Quahog, new york yeah, that's a massachusetts though right no that's uh in that long island no yeah uh, Quahog, new york um so that okay. was 1887 and then that's followed by shinnecock hills which is one that we know uh, for sure 1892 um, so, so there you go. If this, uh, our trivia for today on the oldest golf courses, uh, in the U S so that's cool. Well, it's, it's been around a long time. That's for sure. And like, uh, John was just saying, the Rockaway river since 1915, that's crazy. But all right, well, John, let's, let's get into the heart of the podcast here. You know, we have you on because we want to talk about weather and of course how it, uh, you know, uh, you know, you know, how, how weather corresponds to golf and what you do um, you know, every day on the golf course itself with the maintenance and, the, you know, the mowing and, and I guess just uh, overall, you know, day to day operation. So, you know, talk about talk about what you go through in the morning before you even start your day. So as a golf course superintendent, the weather is play, plays an impact on every part of our decision making. Um, whether it's, you know, when to mow, when not to mow, how much rain you got, how much rain you didn't get. Uh, you know, Rockaway's in a u- unique situation because it was built in a floodplain. So we have a, we have a uh, very chronic flooding problem here. Not like we used to. It's gotten a lot better. But when I first started here, you know, we would probably have anywhere from five to 10 floods a year. Now we're, now we're down to, if we have three a year, that would be a lot. So uh, improvements to the river, improvements to the golf course has helped us 
tremendously in our flooding situations. But with that being said, you know, not only do we worry about how much rain we get here, but I worry how much rain we get north and west of us. Because whatever happens there comes downstream and has, a, has an effect on us. So, like, for example, the other day, we got a, a two-inch two rainstorm in about an hour. And I thought we were going to flood. And fortunately, north and west of us didn't get that same burst that we got. And other than bunker washouts, the course, the course handled it great. Yeah, it's true because, you know, a lot of streams, creeks, and uh, rivers even to a point, you know, they take a day or two to even crest uh, based on, you know, how much, uh, you know, water flows into these things. But like you said, uh, yeah, I guess I guess a lot of the you watch for is like up in Rockland County, even in New York, because in, in northern New Jersey, because all that stuff will flow, right? What river is that, by the way? That's the Rockaway River. It is a Rockaway River? Okay. So, like, up northwest New Jersey is where I look at to see where, where it's coming from. Uh, so, you know, we've gotten, we've gotten times where we've gotten a quarter inch of rain and people north of us have gotten more rain and, you know, next, you know, 18 is underwater because everything came downstream, you know, and plus two, you have to worry about, you know, the construction over the years, like the Rockaway Mall drains into the Rockaway River. Uh, so, you know, the more asphalt they put down that drains into the river also has a big effect on us. So, John, how much exactly do you need? How much rainfall do you need without irrigation um, to keep that course in good shape? Mike, the, you know, the, the latest craze is firm and fast. So with that, with that being said, you don't want rain. You know, we, everybody likes to actually control the moisture themselves. A lot of our job is moisture management. Uh, everybody thinks that you can just go out mow a green as short as possible and you get fast green speeds. Uh, a lot of green speeds are determined by moisture. Um, it, it's, it's not, and firmness, it's, it's, not, it's not a fact of just going out and, and mowing the grass as short as you can. Moisture plays a huge part. So ideally for me, um, without, running, without having to run the irrigation, if we got a half inch a week, I'd be a happy man. You know, uh, the, but there's also there's a fine line of keeping it firm and fast and presentable to what the membership wants. And every membership has a different expectation of what that is. Some people like it green and lush. Some people like it brown and ugly. <laughs> well, doesn't that get difficult then if you're like, I don't know, trying to hit like a, you know, approach shot and you want that ball to kind of stick for you. And then if you have a firm and fast isn't that going to roll away really easy or <laughs> kind of bounce off or that's the thing, you know, um, it, it plays into the difficulty as well. You know, the, the, the better golfers want it as firm and fast as possible. Whereas the, the higher, the higher handicappers that's you know, me. want it to be, want the greens <laughs> to be receptive and be able to put them. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's me. See, that's what I'm looking for. If it's too firm, I, I'm in trouble because I don't, I'm not good enough to have, uh, you know, know that I'm putting backspin on the ball and, and then uh, you know, my shot's going to land and, and do what it needs to do. I'm just trying to hit the green somewhere. You don't want to plug, though, either and just, uh, you know, in its own pitch mark. It goes in the pace of play. You know, it goes in the pace of play as well because, the, you know, when, when 
when people are taking three or four putts every green, you know, it's a, a four hour round turns into a five hour round real quick. Mm. Yeah, you can't have right. the greens, you know, uh, that fast. Well, yeah, we'll talk about the stint meter and things like that in a few minutes. Um, but, you know, John, I was in the golf business for, for a while, too. And, you know, I not in the, the super or not in the uh, the maintenance side, but, you know, I knew en- enough superintendents in my time, too. But, you know, I guess what I basically would figure out was they liked it dry before too wet because you can control when it's dry, you control the adding the wetness part. But when it gets too wet, obviously, you can't do anything about that. Very true. And that's, you know, especially here with the flooding issues. If we get, if we get a flood in July or August, we're done. I mean, the, the, when you get all that moisture saturating your root zone, you know, water is one of the best conductors of heat. So when you get all that rain and you get a 95-degree day, and that soil saturated, all it does is it, your roots are fried. Wow. And then next, that. Thing you, next thing you know, oh, the grass looks great today. And then next thing you know, tomorrow, you're wilting like crazy because your roots just got decimated by, they got fried. They're gone. So, um, you know, all superintendents would much rather control the water than have Mother Nature control the water. I never thought about that. What's going on underneath is what you're more interested in versus what it looks like on top. Of course, it looks great on top, but you know, you know what's going on underneath, and you know, with the soil. And now, you know, talk about talk to us about that. I, I know um, other times I've I've had superintendents also. They would take like soil samples and send them to like Clemson or something. I guess. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of different places you can send them to, but um, you know, that's the thing too. Your your grass might not look good. But it, it can be super healthy, you know, and that you take your soil samples to know what's exactly in the soil bank. A healthy soil means healthy grass. If they have, if the nutrient is there, you know, the, the, the roots and the plant has a place to get its food and what it needs to, to survive. And, you know, you try to, by, by keeping it dry, and also there's a fine line there too, dryness and how much nutrients is in the is in the ground is important because the more nutrients it has, the faster it's growing, and that that's also a huge uh, effect of green speed. You know, if you have if you have grass, especially in hot, humid weather, and the soil microbes start going, you know, once the soil temperatures get above uh, seventy five degrees, your soil mi- microbe activity accelerates, and the microbes go to town in the soil. They start releasing all this nutrients. The plants start absorbing it, and you'll see, like, you know, you cut the greens in the morning on a 90-degree humid day, and by lunchtime, you're like, did we cut these? Because they're rolling a foot slower than they were this morning. So you have to, you, you know, nutrient management plays with that. You know, uh, the soil samples are is the baseline of what you apply throughout the season. You know, if you're... If you're deficient in calcium, if you're deficient in nit- nitrogen or whatever the cases may be, you, you base it off those soil tests. This is all the good nooks and crannies that a lot of folks don't understand. With oh, I'm just you know, and then you wonder why you know greens fees are a hundred dollars at public golf courses, and because this is the kind of stuff that it takes. I mean, this is you know, this is the nuts and bolts of what keeps the courses in good shape. I mean, all this uh, 
It's not just watering and and, no. and, and cutting it. You know what I mean? <laughs> There's a lot more involved. Right. Um, here now, uh, John, is there a certain uh, like temperature range that you consider ideal um, for your golf course? Yeah, that's a tough question. Um, you know, to be honest, a 75 high and dry day is a lot more difficult to keep the grass alive than a 90 degree humid day. Right? When you when you have when there's zero percent humidity and uh, high high dry skies, I mean the grass it just dries out. Whereas when you have you know a 90 degree day and a high humidity, there's moisture constantly around the plant that, you know, other than disease, you're not really worried about much moisture because the moisture is surrounding the plant. So, you know, a lot of times people are like, oh, you're loving this weather today. And I'm like, well, you know, it's, it's 25 mile per hour winds, 75 degrees and high skies, you know, it's, uh, you have to be on your toes. It's, you know, it's, for your for our body, it's great, and it's great for the plant as well too. I mean, the plant does definitely doesn't like a ninety and a ninety degree day with ninety percent humidity. But as far as um, keeping it alive, it's you know th- those high dry days are, are are tough. So basically, you're constantly adjusting what you're doing, you know, based on the forecast is what I'm getting. Mike, when I tell you, you know, my wife jokes all the time because all I do is look at the weather. <laughs> you know, it, like take take yesterday for example. Yesterday was, I thought for sure we were getting afternoon storms. So we we go out. We need. I needed to put some fertilizer out. We go to put fertilizer out on the approaches, thinking I was going to get a half inch of rain. We get nothing. I got yeah. We got point zero five. Wow. So it, it's, it's, uh, you know, everything we do is, is weather based, you know, it even seems like, you know, even if there's a, a change during the day that you're, you're, you might have to make an adjustment, even if it's like, okay, winds in the morning are, are five to 10, but then they start gusting to 30, you know, in the afternoon, it almost seems like you'd have to adjust for that too. A hundred percent. And also, too, it's like, you know, you you, know, you look at the winds. Like, if, they, if it's a windy day, we can't spray. Or you can spray, but you're not getting the coverage you should be getting. And, you're, and you know, your operators are getting covered in chemicals. Uh, so, you know, you, we, before you write up that spray sheet and get the spray tanks ready, you're looking at wind, you're looking at wind levels throughout the morning. Yeah, right. I mean, obviously, because you don't want to get all that ready and then you can't go spraying. You can't go spraying. Correct. And then you just wasted a, however many hours it took to get things together. Not to mention the product. Yeah. Yeah. Or and plus, too, if you're if you're you know, there's some chemicals that need to be watered in. So a lot of times it's great to say, OK, like a wedding agent. You know, we use we use products called wedding agents that actually, you know, what they say is it makes the water wetter and it actually helps the soil hold that moisture. So it's always great to do that in the rain. You know, if you if you see rain coming, you know, a lot of times we'll load up the sprayers, we'll get we'll get our wetting agent in the tanks, we'll spray and let and let the rain take care of it. Uh, you know, a lot of herbs like your pre, your your preventative crabgrass needs to be watered in. So you know, you, timing timing plays a, a a huge role in what we do, and if you can time it with Mother Nature, it it works out well for you. 
And then not only to mention the, the playability of the course then, too. I mean, when you have too much rain, then, of course, the membership. I'm sure they don't like it when it's car path only, but you got to do what you got to do. And you can't have course, you know, carts out there, you know, leaving ruts in the fairway and things like that. And, you know, you, you hate to go to a golf course and you don't want to go out to the fairway. But, you know, if you've got two inches of rain the night before, the course is fine, but you got to keep the carts on the path. Yep. And that's it. Or, or you get two inches of rain and it stops at six o'clock and the first tee time is seven o'clock and they want to take parts out, you know? So it's, it, they're, they're, that's another balancing act. You have to be able to figure out what's where you can draw the line between keeping the golf course in the condition that the membership would like, or it doesn't have to be the membership. It could be a, it could be a, a public golf course without causing the damage that's going to affect the playability. Yeah, I think it's important that people understand all that you're doing to keep that course under control. Because, you know, you, you can only do so much, you know, when it comes to the weather. Like you said, if it was just pouring overnight and you have a 7 a.m. tea time, it just stopped raining. There's only so much you can do about it. And I, I know there's probably a lot of people that might come to the course and go, oh, my God, it was so wet and terrible. Like, what is going on here? It's like, well, you know you got to think about these things a little bit. There is so much to keep that course tip top shape. Um, you know, and I think it's important that people understand that. And that, that's part, part of our job, you know, at least the way I look at it is, is, you know, we need to educate, you know, and fortunately here at Rockaway, it's, um, the membership has been very receptive to the practices that we do how we do them. Um, and as long as, as long as you communicate that to them, you know, it seems that that's communication is the best way to have success and have them, you know, know what's going on out there. So part of the job, you know, part, part of being good at what you do is, is, is communicating it to them and, and letting them know in advance what's going on. Right. And that's goes hand in hand with what we do here at Weatherworks. You know, communication is, paramount uh and and how we give our forecast to the clients when they call in for consultation um or if we have to call them about weather threats you know we have to be on top of things exactly what's going on and and, and exactly what their needs are in order to get them the most um important information or the or the most usable information for their for their activity that they're doing that day because it can range from uh paving to uh roofing to you know a graduation outside you know a, a football game you know it can be all kinds of different things so you know that's one thing that we try to do with our meteorologists we try to really have them understand the different needs of our client base so that we can give them the most useful information so john this is of course you know as a superintendent you're time to shine let's say is uh, basically what april through october here in the northeast so you know day-to-day -day operations of course it changes with the weather it changes what you have to do you got tournaments you got outings and blah 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 you know now what about the winter time is 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 there things you can do or do you do before like in the late fall before winter gets here are there certain things you do to the golf course uh you know before the weather goes south basically for the rest of the year Oh, definitely. I mean, you know, you, there's a winterization pro process on the golf course. Uh, you know, frost is one of our, you know, 
another communication thing with the membership, you know, well, it wasn't frosty at my house. Well, you know, for some reason, this golf course, Rockaway, is always seems to be a couple degrees cooler than the surrounding areas. I don't know if it's because we're down in the river valley. Might be in the valley, yeah, yeah. You know, so, uh, you know, I know if, if, if it's forecasted to be 40 to 42 degrees, I know we're having a frost here because it's going to be 37, 38 here, you know. Um, so, and, you know, obviously, I don't know if most people know this either, but a, a grass plant is 90% water. So when you have that frost and, uh, you know, players want to go out while there's frost on there and you drive on top of it, it's like driving on top of a piece of glass. That are all the cells in the, in the plant and gonzo, you know. <laughs> Yeah, no, there was a word for that, wasn't it? When there, um, yeah, and this happened, this even happened like down south once in a while. You get a frost, and people would walk on the greens or something. And then their footprint would be left there, like you said later in the day. You could see it because it broke the cells of the ground. There's a word for that, though. Frost uh, something. I don't know. Frost damage. Uh, yeah, I can't remember what it is. Back in my uh, lawn care landscaping days when I worked for a company and there was a, a frosty morning and I was cutting the frost off the grass, that was probably a bad deal, huh? Well, that, was not a good, that was not a good move. Come on, Mike. <laughs> okay. It wasn't my choice. I mean, I wasn't the boss. You know, you know I they just said, you got to cut these things. And I was like, okay. Even with the frost on it? Yep. Just do it. I'm like, okay. Meanwhile, their lawn was all brown and mangled the next week. When it's a consistent brown, though, nobody knows that you did damage, you know? <laughs> so who knows? But, you know, as far as, far as winters, you know, winterizing the golf course, um, you know, you always do you, you do a fall aeration. Uh, you, you know, at Rockaway, too, we have native soil greens, which means uh, there's no, no drainage in them. It's just native soil that was pushed up into a pile and made into a green. Whereas USGA green uh, is, you know, sand-based and has drainage in it. Uh, so in the wintertime here, we like to do an aerification called deep tine aerification, which, you know, you put a, a 10 to 12 inch tine on a uh, vertidrain machine, it's called, and you create these uh, three quarter inch by 10 to 12 inches deep holes that actually helps with drainage and freezing and thawing in the wintertime. Wow. I had no idea that those were that deep. Yeah. Well, I mean, the ones, the ones you see in the spring and fall are not that deep. They're normally okay. like a, a traditional aerification could be anywhere from two to four inches. Um, but like I say, in the wintertime, a lot of older, like I said, native soil greens, they do a deep time to help with drainage and freezing and thawing and just, you know, it gives another place for the water to go. So what is that aerification actually doing? Because I know there's a lot of players, you know, that go out there and they're like, Oh God, they, they aerified the green. And then you got these little holes and you're like, I'm never going to be able to get an accurate putt today and blah, blah, blah. And well, they fill it with the sand, but it's not been like, you know, putting on a nice. Yeah. Green yeah. Yeah. So what is that doing for the, for the grass and the turf? There's so many benefits to aerification. I, I'll touch on a few of them, but I mean, you know, you aerify for compaction, you aerify for removal of organic matter. You know, as uh, as the grass gets older and as it's growing, you create a ton of organic matter in there. 
which contributes to thatch. Um, so you need to get that out of there. And like, like again, too, uh, native soils, we're always trying to increase drainage and put more sand into them. So by removing a core from the green, it gives you that space to put more sand in and, you know, help create a firmer putting surface. Um, you know, also aerification, as I said, it relieves compaction. But the other thing is, you know, there's grass needs three things. It needs sun, water, or it needs four things, sun, water, nutrients, and air. Right. The sun's the sun comes natural. We can give it water. We can give it nutrients. The one thing we can't give it is air. So the airification allows us to get air down into that root zone, um, and it's also a great place for roots to go. The roots will start diving into those into where it's getting oxygen. So you know, typically we like to airify. We airify about four times a year here. We'll do um, actually more than that, but we do an airification in the spring, an airification in the fall, and that deep tine airification early, you know, end of November, beginning of November, middle of November. But then throughout the year, we'll do a needle tine airification, um, which is exactly what it says. They're needles that just, you know, you airify and then we roll it. You can't even tell that we airified, but it creates that oxygen exchange in the soil zone. So, uh, you know, that, that I was, we were supposed to do our first needle time the day after Memorial Day, but it was 95 degrees and not, not a good idea doing it when it's 95. So again, the, the, the firm and fast, you, you need that airification for, <laughs> to make it firm and fast. It sounds like. Yeah. You know, sand, sand is a huge proponent for getting firm, fast greens. Not only does it smooth the playing surface, but like I said, when you have a, a native push-up soil green like we do here, you're trying to get as much of that soil out and as much sand in as you can. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a necessity, which, you know, a lot of folks are like, ah, man, like you said, the course is aerified but uh yeah like you said you have to do it uh and the club i belong to yeah same thing they do it uh you know always in the spring sometimes they let the fall go i guess maybe depend upon what's going on with the weather and and how the course did uh, but always it seems like in the north now when i live down south and again down there they actually do the aerification in the summertime john i'm sure you know that um, but because of the grass it's more bermuda grass down there and and they don't aerify in the spring in the fall but they do them usually june and like august and they do a lot when they, because of the bermuda grass they have, they have to do a lot more verticutting correct which we do a lot of verticutting up here but that bermuda grass grows so aggressively. it does yeah yeah you know you need that it creates a lot of thatch so the I was say the thatch the verticutting removes a lot of that thatch. And, and the green, you know, if you're if you're down grain, it could, you know, be rolling, you know, or the stimp meter, we'll talk about that in a minute, you know, could be stimping at like 12, 13, but going against the grain, it may be like six or seven. So what does that mean, verticutting? Verticutting means a lot of the Bermuda grass, bent grass, it grows vertically. So, you know, also with green speed, you want the grass blade to be standing as upright as possible. The more grass you have laying over, also affects the green speed. So verticutting uh, eliminates that laying over and that lateral growth and promotes the grass to grow more upright. Also, it also, the verticut gives you another space 
to put more sand in. So a lot of times you'll verticut two directions. You create these nice grooves. You get rid of a lot of organic matter, a lot of thatch. You put the sand on top, you brush it in, and now you just, you did another, you did another form of verification, just not by using holes. I, well, I mentioned it before then, John. L let's talk about the old buzzword. And you hear it if, if you watch golf on TV, you know, and, and again, a lot of folks play golf. And again, that's the great thing about golf. It's one of the few sports you can pick up as you get older. And, you know, folks, you know, when they retire, you know, they go on and play golf. But you always hear about the stimp meter. What the green's stimping at today. Explain again how, how you come about like a stimp meter of 12 today. So I'm not, I'm not a fan of the stint meter. I think a lot of people use it incorrectly. Everyone likes to say, oh, my greens are rolling 13 today, or my greens are rolling 12 today. And uh, to be honest with you, here at Rockaway, I don't know if there's a place on the golf course that we could use a stint meter correctly. Because what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to have a find a flat area on your green. You're supposed to use the stimp, stimp meter, roll a ball, roll three balls one direction, take the average of those three balls, then roll it back the same direction the other way, take the average of those three balls, and then calculate your distance. But with that, like I said, we don't, I, don't, I, don't, I have like maybe one green that I could get that flat of an area in a, in a 10 to 15 foot direction. And then not only that, but as you, you know, the stint meter, the stint meter, you're supposed to lay flat on the, on the turf and then you raise it slowly until that ball just trickles out of the slot that it's sitting. Off the little notch, yeah. So any variation of me picking that stint meter up faster than letting that ball just fall out is going to give you a drastic difference. And then also too, if, you know, if I roll the ball 17 feet one way and only roll it back eight feet the other way that's not accurate either so snip meters to me are we we know we know when our greens are fast and we know when our greens are slow in my opinion you know if 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 you want to arbitrarily throw out a number to people to make them happy you can do that but you know trust me when, when greens are 12 the average golfer is having is, is having a miserable day out there. I was gonna say that's more than plenty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you, and then when you go to like courses, like uh, again, maybe not where you're at, where it's you know it's a private cl uh, club, uh, but you go to some other courses, you know, on a day to day, uh, you know, daily fee course. You know, our greens are welcome to so and so golf course. Our greens today are stimping out at thirteen and a half, and like you said, that's that's too fast when you get into public golf courses because, it, like Mike said earlier, you know, they'll turn your four. 415 uh, round into five hours easily. Yep. <laughs> Mine will be six hours and people, <laughs> people will be uh, wanting to play through and everything because uh, actually I, I, you know, speaking of uh, get off the subject of, well, not off the subject, but I saw a couple of weeks ago, um, there was a high, a girl's high school match out in California. And I guess the 18th hole, they put, the flag where it typically is on like a hard hardest day. And these girls, unfortunately were getting like seven or eight putts and like they would get up to the hole, would roll all the way back down into the fairway. It was like almost unfair. I think it was unfair, but you know, again, you don't want that kind of stuff. Cause that's ridiculous. Yeah. Who wants that? I, I, I couldn't agree more, you know, like, and to me that that's, that's poor 
setup management. Right. You know, the, the directors of that tournament did not set that. I'm not. Gonna say, I'm not going to say it's not fair, but it, you know, you're, you're 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 having a championship or a tournament, and you got people rolling balls down into the middle of the fair into the fairway. And it's still supposed to be fun. It's a high school match. Come on. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Let's kind of shift gears a little bit to uh, course machinery, because I don't know if we talk too much about, you know, what type of, you know, mowers you're using, you know, how how you're keeping the, the bunkers, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of the word here, uh, manicured. Manicured, there you go. Um, you know, rollers, etc. Like, well, don't say sand trap, Mike. Don't ever say sand trap. By the way, I didn't say sand trap. I, I know you didn't. I'm just saying it, it's a, it's a. <laughs> you said sand. I know. Trap. I'm saying, but it's it's a it's it's everyone. It's an old school term. Everything's bunker these days. <laughs> but yeah, talk a little bit about that, and 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 you know what kinds of mowers you use on certain areas. Like maybe it differs from a green to a fairway to the rough. Uh, you know, here we walk mow our greens. On a daily basis, tees and approaches we also walk mow. Fairways are we have riding mowers for, and there's a couple of reasons why. You know, obviously for time you use the riding mowers, but with the undulations and stuff on the greens, uh, walk mowing is the least uh, creates the least mechanical damage. Which, with weather, with the rain, with moisture, uh, mowing wet in my opinion, is probably one of the worst things you can do to a plant. So, you know, back to, you know, everything we do is based on weather. Um, you know, if I get an inch of rain at two o'clock in the morning and I'm going and I, you know, I contemplate whether or not to mow my greens the next morning. And also, too, with that being said, you know, the mowers also have different rollers on them. You know, there's a grooved roller. And there's also a smooth roller. The groove roller is almost like um, you ever see those, the, like a Norelco commercial, where it's like the lift cut method. That's that's what a grooved roller does. Whereas a smooth roller, you're almost just laying over what's on top and, and cutting it. But it's way the, the groove rollers are way more aggressive than the smooth roller. So a lot of times, spring and fall, we'll use these grooved rollers on the greens mowers, and then in the in the stressful times of the summer. You go to a smooth roller; it's less aggressive and less abrasive to the to the to the greens. I think everybody would agree that you know mowing wet grass, <laughs> you know, even it's just the worst thing. I mean, yeah, you say from a plant standpoint, but even you know trying to you know make something look nice, you know, with wet grass becomes extremely difficult. Um, in those situations where you have wet grass, I mean, what do you do about it? Do you, do you just not mow that day or do you have a method to kind of get around it or? Mike, it all, it all depends what, you know, like spring and fall, you can get away with mowing wet. When I say wet, I, I don't mean like the, you know, we mow the, 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 the plant's always wet as far as like if mowing with dew. Yeah, I was going to say, what about the dew in the morning? I'm not talking about mowing with dew. I'm talking about saturated, soft soils. And, you know, when that mower digs into a side of a, like, of a, a, side of a mound on a green or whatever, you know, that could have detrimental effects two, three days down the road. You know, if it's, if it's uh, you know, when it's July and you get a rainstorm and you mow and you create mechanical damage, I mean, it's way different than 
cutting in the spring and the fall when the temperatures are on your side and you mow wet. You know, it, you'd be amazed how many times people will mow wet turf, and I've done it. You know, you mow wet turf today, and then all of a sudden, a week or two later, you start seeing that grass decline. And you're like, darn it, why did I, why did I mow last week? I knew I should have done it, and I, and I did it anyway. That's, the, that's one of the things people don't realize, that, you know, the decision-making that we do, you know, might not affect you today. You know, it affects you a week, two weeks, three weeks down the road. And, you know, one of the things you always try to explain to people, too, is, is that, you know, the golf season, it's a marathon. It's, it's not a sprint, you know. So sacrifice, sacrifice slow greens today or sacrifice, you know, unmowed fairways today. So you have them, you know, in August, at the end of August, you know. Again, it goes back to moisture management. Moisture management and, you know, basing your decisions on how much moisture is out there and what you're going to do to the plant is, is huge. So when you get into a, a, the bunkers, I mean, they get washed out sometimes. Like I said, do you have drain it? Do you, how do you, do you pump them out if there's a lot of rain or you just kind of let it just dry it on its own? So fortunately, in 2019, we did a whole course bunker renovation. We went from bunkers that were pretty much just holes in the ground with no drainage to uh, beautiful bunkers with drainage in them. And it's, it's life-changing. Take, for example, I told you like, this past Saturday, we got a two-inch rainstorm. We were able to have all the bunkers raked and playable with no standing water in any of them by 9.30 in the morning. Our old bunkers, we would have been here all day getting them playable. So, uh, and, and, you know, too, the evolution of the bunker, I'm not a fan of. I, I think we've, we've taken these hazards or taken these, this part of the golf course that was meant to be a hazard into something that's better. To, most people rather hit out of a bunker than hit out of the rough. Sure. Well, yeah, especially in tour pros, especially, yeah. Especially. So it, it's, uh, you know, I, I think we've totally taken what a bunker was meant to be and made it into something that is what the golfer wanted it to be. You know, like back in, you know, back in the old days, they built golf courses and they, everything drained into the bunkers. That's what they were there for. You know, it was, it was there to, to take the, the surface drainage off the greens. So now it, it, it's, it's evolved into a, it, it's involved into a safe, a safe zone more, more than a hazard. What are you laughing at, Mike? I don't know. I, I don't know if it's a safe zone for me, but I'm just. <laughs> well, well, I'll tell you, there's nothing worse than if you go play golf and, you know, after a, a rainy day the day before and like, you know, you have to go fish your ball out of a big puddle in the bunker with the rake and you're like, oh, I found my ball. But it's like, you know, you you know what I'm talking about when you, you pull the rake and it's like, oh, my God. Yeah, never a good thing. Never a good thing. But, uh, you know, honestly, though, I mean, I've had my bunker play, I feel, has been a little bit better. And maybe that is because probably because you're always in it. <laughs> I get a lot of practice. That's what, what was that? What was that? Uh, what was that line in Happy Gilmore uh, when he's like, "Oh yeah, I saw this guy uh, in the sand. He, he, you know, I saw him play golf yesterday. He spends more time in the sand than David Hasselhoff." <laughs> 
well, you know, I wouldn't say uh, I spend that much time in the sand, but uh... so, 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 John, for that movie, you know, if you watch, uh, if you watch Happy Gilmore, I'm sure a lot of folks have it. even Caddyshack, for that matter, with the gopher. I guess that's like a superintendent's nightmare. All the golf course uh, damage that's done in those movies. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, I've never seen Happy Gilmore. Oh, come on! But, but. Uh... The, the groundhog thing is, is real. Uh, we deal with we we've been dealing with a fox on our golf course. Oh, okay. That um, every night he comes he comes out and is digging, and he's d- looking for food. But he'll go into all the bunkers. Uh, you'll either you'll see his footprints or you'll see him digging holes, looking for his food, and it's a maintenance nightmare. Because you have to, you know, you got to send somebody out to rake those bunkers. I want you to kill all the gophers. Well, if I kill all the gophers, <laughs> gophers, not golfers. Yeah, so so John, so John's going out there like Bill Murray in, yeah. in Caddyshack, right? Yeah. You know, <laughs> trying, to, trying to get that gopher. Get the fox. Um, but, um, yeah, it's, I'll tell you, one hazard that I experienced on a course one time was geese. Or uh, they were like, you know, pooping all over the, the green. I don't know what else to say. Um, and I was just like, what? Like, what do you do about that? Nothing? Or do you have some guys shooing them away all day, or what? We have a couple dogs here uh, that we use. Uh, so I, I have a German short-haired pointer, and my other assistant has a uh, a lap, and uh, my dog's getting a little old. He's 13 now, but, um, yeah, we, we take him on rounds every day and they chase the geese. Wow. Nice. So, but you know, it's funny geese. I say this to everybody too. Is the geese are super smart in the winter time. You know, the winter summertime, we're here long hours. The winter time we go back to a normal, you know, eight hour a day job. And, for some reason, we'll chase them away in the morning, and they know when we leave, and they come right back. Four, four o'clock, they're right back here, you know. Um, so they're they're very hard to manage, to say the least. So, so what's the what's the biggest uh, like issue you have with with um, like insects or bugs or animals? I mean, is it is it like uh, just something that eats the vegetation, or is it something bigger? I mean, is it worms, grubs? I know there were, there's a lot of uh, other things too that you spray for in the greens, and you can have uh, what is it, nematodes and things like that. I mean, what's the biggest problem? Our our biggest problem here is a, is an insect called the annual bluegrass weevil or ABW. Uh, it specifically attacks annual bluegrass or poania. And when your golf course is comprised of 80% poania, uh, it's a nightmare to manage. There's five different instars of them. They're constantly at different stages. Um, you know, you try to go out in the spring and get the adults so they don't lay any eggs. Obviously, you don't get all the adults, so they do lay eggs. Then they hatch. They start feeding on the roots. It, it's we we're in the battle right now, and it, uh, we spend a tremendous amount of money trying to control them, and they're very difficult to control. You have to be yeah. You have to be 
vigilant in, 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 in scouting for them. Like every morning we're going out looking at collars, looking at tees, and seeing if these, if these insects that you can't even see are just chomping away. Yeah, there was one down south that I can't remember the name of. They used to burrow underneath, and then they would eat the roots of the greens. I, I can't remember the name of the insect, but it was it was just widespread down down there, and um, you could see it like a couple days later, where exactly maybe the the insect ate all the roots because it would be brown on this side of the green, and another spot to be fine. Yeah, that's the thing. Like your grass could look good one day, and then you know you get a you get a, a sunny day or high sky day and all of a sudden you're like man why is that collar wilting or why is that tea wilting and all of a sudden you dig around and you see these little bugs and you're like oh no wonder it's wilting there's no roots there anymore so let's shift things a little bit back towards weather again um you know obviously in the spring and summertime you know we have you know lightning issues um so what do you guys i mean it's not really a course um you know, a manicuring thing per se, but it's a, a golfer safety thing. Do you have certain things at the course that, that help out with lightning? Yes, we, we have a, a lightning detection system that will go off when lightning is in our area. And then also, too, we have, uh, you know, the golf shop. Between the golf shop and myself, uh, you know, we have a weather service here that tells us also when lightning is in our area. Uh, and we, you know, we'll, the sirens will go off and we get the golf course, the, the golfers off the course as fast as we can. Now, do, do they listen all the time? Not so much, you know? So it's, uh, you, you know, sometimes you got to force people off the golf course because it's never going to happen to them, you know? Yeah. I got to say, even as a meteorologist, I was uh, stubborn uh, on the golf course. Yeah, yeah, sure. You told us that story, Mike. Tell us again. Oh yeah, uh, the Penn State story, right? Yeah, I was at Penn State, and and I was still going to school there, and um, I don't know which course. I think it was the white course I was playing, um, and I was somewhere on the back nine. Thunderstorm came in, and you know I'm going. I should really head back to the clubhouse, but I got a good round going, <laughs> you know. Again, the, the Caddyshack reference with the with the the minister or whatever. Yeah, exactly. You know, so I didn't want to go in right away and I was so stubborn. I don't know. I think I ended up like going into like a little shack or something that was on the back nine. And I don't even know, um, just to, just to stay out. Cause I want, <laughs> I wanted to continue that round. And, uh, you know, I was, I was sitting there and lightning's cracking all over and I got trees all around me. And I'm just like thinking to myself, I'm in the exact worst place um or worst place that i could be in um for lightning danger and i'm sitting there thinking like here i am a, a meteorology student in the worst place <laughs> you know what not to do in a thunderstorm yeah yeah i should have took like you know a video or pictures but i think that was before smartphones um well, that, that, we're, we're pretty bad culprits of it too because we do a lot of hand watering here uh and that's for those who don't know. It's you know we don't run the sprinkler heads as that much during the day. So if stuff needs to be watered during the day, we pull our hoses out, we hit them with hoses. But you know we always say the hose gods, you know the thunder and lightning. We we don't go in until it starts raining because just because it's thunder and lightning doesn't mean that rain's coming. 
but so we 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 don't come right in either when when the sirens go off. <laughs> That's true. But we've all done that. I've been on the course too, and I you know I don't think the lightning's a little bit. And then when it crashes by, you're like, all right, time to go in. But uh, all right, well, let's. Uh, we're getting towards the end of the podcast here, John. Let's 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 give you a couple of simple questions here. What is the most difficult part of the golf course to maintain? The greens are, you know, that the greens are what we what we get paid for. So that that's uh, that's the hardest thing to maintain. Yeah, and I guess that's the most time consuming for everybody, and and you know. Not only uh, now, is there ever a time when you mow them twice in a day? I mean, with the tournament, or is it just because, like you said, it's growing so fast sometimes? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, as far as the growing part goes, you know, we have that under control. Uh, but like, we'll, we'll have the state amateur. We're we're going to be hosting the state amateur in the middle of July, and we will probably double cut and double roll in the morning, and then depending on um, the New Jersey State Golf Association, and depending on the setup guy, you know, we'll see if we mow again that night or if it's if, if speeds are okay that we can get away with just doing the same thing the next morning. Um, but double cutting, double cutting is a common practice that that um, that's not uncommon. Um, it's gotten we've gotten less. We've been doing it less because of mower technology. Um, there, there's mowers now where the blades are spinning so fast. It's almost like you're double cutting them, even though you're single cutting them. Yeah. I mean, the greens, the greens are, you know, is where we put, you know, you can go to a golf course and the whole course can be in bad shape, but if the greens are fast and in good shape, you, everyone walks away and say, man, that course was awesome. (laughs) You know, it is true. Nobody likes bad greens. No one likes bad greens. So what's right? the easiest part about it? Like the nineteenth hole or something in the bar or Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the bar. That's the easiest part. Range, I guess, um, maybe. Yeah, I, I, listen, Brad, I mean there's these days no 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 part you know, there's nothing easy. You know? And I hate to say this, but you know COVID has been a blessing to golf courses, but it's also been a stress on the golf course because our play has been, I mean, it doesn't show in the rounds and I don't know how it doesn't, but like our tees these days get demolished because we have, we have so much more play and it's been, uh, you know, the, the tees used to be an easy part of maintenance, you know, mow them, do the divots, you know, move, move the tee markers around. But now, like our par fives sometimes look like par threes, and I have no idea why. Like you know, the golfers are, are you know, I don't know if they're taking divot, you know, twisting their feet so much, or it's just the tees have have gotten to be a lot more difficult to maintain than than years past. Maybe golfers just got worse. <laughs> it, could it could be there's so many new golfers. I I, I don't know. You know. Well, that's. Uh... That is a possibility, but uh, I know there was definitely a surge, you know, back when, you know, Tiger Woods hit the scene and that was like, you know, everybody wanted to play like he was and hit it as far as he was hitting it because it was so unusual. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe there's a new surge. Could be. Um, but I guess uh, one of the questions that, uh, you know, Brad and I wanted to ask 
Um, now I guess keep it PG here, but <laughs> any what's the oddest thing you may see on the course out there, or have you uh, experienced? Uh keep it PG. Yeah, it doesn't even have to be the Rockaway. <laughs> we don't want to. We don't want to get you in trouble. Or anything. It could have been any time in your career. <laughs> One of the worst things was, I guess there must have been kids or something partying out, out by our sixth hole. And uh, that morning we went to go change the cups, and somebody went to the bathroom in, in, in the cup. Oh, yeah, I've heard about things like that too. Other flats. Yeah. Jeez. Oh my God. Brad's like, oh God, he caught me. <laughs> I guess we could say the old poop in the cup, but you know. <laughs> That was that, that was not a fun morning. So <laughs> I could just see whoever was out there doing the cups. Uh, hey, John, um, we got a problem out here on the sixth hole. Um, <laughs> yeah. Exactly what it was. And I, I, I ended up. I, I went and changed it. Wow. I'm. That, yeah. That. How awkward is that call? Yeah. <laughs> You're not gonna believe what I saw out here. Yeah. I mean, that's 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 a new one for sure. I mean, I don't know. I just figured it would roll along the lines of uh some sort yeah. of bachelor party and you know uh, you know somebody just so drunk that something's you know the roll the cart and all that kind of stuff that's what i was envisioning in my head i didn't that happens that, that, ha- that happens way too often yeah. to be odd yeah, that's, <laughs> that's not even odd okay yeah, that's not even odd yeah but the 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 poop in the yeah that's that's a rough one man <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> Wow. So, I mean, hey, I, I mean, I think that about covers it for the, the podcast here. I mean, John, yeah, thanks a lot. I thought this was a, a, a really good podcast. It was really interesting yeah, to know, good info. you know, all the things that the weather can affect on the course, all the things you're dealing with, and even those crazy odd things that may have happened in the past. <laughs> Thank you guys. I, I had a blast. All right. And thank, uh, thank everybody out there for joining us today. And, uh, you know, it's been a great podcast. Remember we'll have a new podcast every two weeks on the weather lounge and, uh, please rate the podcast too. That helps push our show forward. And don't forget to visit weatherworks on social media. And as always find us at weatherworksinc.com. So that's all for this episode. Thanks again for joining us. Thank <laughs> you.